whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. I have two guests today, the hosts of the Out for Blood, the story of Carrie the Musical podcast. It's Chris Adams and Holly Morgan, everybody. Hi. Hi. Hello. All the way from across the pond. We don't know what time it is, but we know. We know. No, it's different. It's different. (laughs) Uh, I just 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 had daylight savings time. So that messed everybody up, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but 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 England is one time zone, correct? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. It is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It just changes twice a year. So right. Just regularly, yeah. Just to keep you guys at different times. Time. Yeah. So we're a country. Know. Yeah, we're fairly de- divided as a country at the moment. But we are nominally all in the <laughs> same time zone. Even Wales, like even the like even all, Wales, even yeah. Wales, <laughs> <laughs> they don't pronounce it differently or anything it's yeah just, then they do that they yeah. do they have, yeah. <laughs> you have to call it a different thing in there yeah um well thank you guys so much for doing this i'm glad we could get this together oh, uh, for having us. we're so you excited guys, and you guys have come to talk about bat boy In listening to this, there are there are similarities that oh, I yeah. will absolutely. Yeah. And actually, I think maybe the people who wrote Bat Boy uh, did some things that the people who wrote Carrie could have taken some cues from in terms mm. of tone. But yes. we'll uh, we'll get into that to say. Um, <laughs> I usually I, I will start this though by saying because I know I think I know part of the story. How this show came into your life is always my first question, but I'll toss that to Holly first. Ah, okay. Well, this this show entered my life uh, with uh, my best friend. So I'm, I met Chris when we were at university and Chris was directing this show and I knew that I wanted to play play the lead I didn't really I didn't, I didn't really know anything more about it so I was like I, I will be the bat boy uh, and I went along and yeah I met Chris at the audition and we, we took the show to, to the Edinburgh Fringe that year which was lots of fun oh, that's great so Chris how did you come to direct bat boy well, as Holly said, this was 15 years ago. I don't know if you can believe uh, that from our youthful <laughs> complexions. Oh, sure. But um, 15 years ago, uh, almost to the day, I guess, we would have started rehearsing this. Because, well, yeah, maybe a little bit right. just oh. before. But, yeah, so I I never actually saw the show when it was in the West End. It didn't last very long. I didn't have much of a chance to get down and see it. <laughs> um, but I'd kind of seen it advertised everywhere. And I knew the, the off-Broadway cast album a little bit. And... I've kind of always loved these shows, which are a little bit kind of, you know, out of the mainstream. They're not your typical musical. They're almost your anti-musical in that every, all the rules of musicals are kind of thrown out of the box and, and abandoned. So I kind of knew it quite well. And somehow we managed to get the performance rights. This is just, I think, yeah. 
just less than a year after it closed in the West End, which is quite unusual, oh, I wow, think, for the kind close. of non-professional mm, rights to, yeah. to come out, especially in London and near London. So we managed to get the rights. And anyway, uh, I'd never directed a musical before. I'd done a couple of plays as a student at university, and this was the first time doing a musical. And I chose this one to do for a <laughs> month uh, at nearly midnight at the Edinburgh Fringe. Um, right which was probably a bit crazy. But anyway, as, as Holly said, uh, we then met at the auditions and Holly was fantastic. Uh, and we cast her as Shelley. And the rest is history, I guess you You did say. get the lead. I did, yeah. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Good, lucky you. Look at it's, it's not a habit that's repeated itself, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to say I went in with that much conviction to the return. Oh, not from lack days. of your own not own trying though having, <laughs> exactly. always putting yourself out there for the leading part <laughs> exactly you, yes <laughs> so this show has my favorite synopsis line right in history yeah. <laughs> on wikipedia um which is the greek god of nature pan arrived to preside <laughs> over the union of edgar and shelley with the help of the woodland creatures yeah which, <laughs> is just the greatest line anyone's ever ever written i think in a synopsis yeah. but i think we need to start with I, I think this is a show that a lot of people have heard of mainly because of yeah. it being lawrence uh o'keefe's i think first big hit in yeah, off broadway um and later going on to write heathers and and uh and legally blonde somebody the people who or aware of his stuff but it's probably not a show that a lot of people are too familiar with so you guys think in some kind of tandem you could summarize the plot of bat boy oh wow yeah to begin as much or as little as you think shall i shall i begin yeah go for it um, it all begins in the small town of hope falls uh west virginia in a cave many miles to the south uh (laughs) where some local townsfolk discover a strange creature living deep deep inside the cave uh, and he's kind of very afraid he's uh, he can't look into the light he attacks one of the kids and they, they take him into the town and uh, they decide that he's a mis- he's a kind of strange bat boy creature they take him to the local vet uh, Dr Parker who is the father of Shelley Parker uh, and they ask they beg Dr Parker to do something about it and, and get rid of the bat boy to um to rid them of this mysterious kind of being. And um, meanwhile, the town has been suffering all sorts of problems. They've been trying, there used to be a coal mining town and they've been trying instead to to raise cattle and all the cattle keep dying. So they basically use Bat Boy as the kind of uh, the scapegoat, I suppose, for all of their problems, a familiar tale. And um, they basically, convinced Dr. Parker to try and get rid of the Bat Boy. But meanwhile, in the Parker household, Holly, shall I pass to you? Meanwhile. Yeah. <laughs> meanwhile, Mrs. Parker, Meredith Parker, the vet's wife, uh, has this uh, affinity with with the Bat Boy, who she names Edgar, and she teaches him how to read and write, and he turns out to be a savant and is sort of you know, incredibly in the space of a couple of bars knows most uh, of Western history, which yes. is brilliant. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Shelley and Edgar do not hit it off immediately. Shelley has a boyfriend called Rick Park, Rick, not my part, I can't Parker, Rick something. Taylor, Rick Taylor. Taylor, yes, the Taylors, yeah. And he's the brother of the kid that got bitten. So he's got a real animus about Edgar. 
and but slowly Edgar and, and Shelley become friends and then <laughs> enter the god Pan <laughs> who thinks that they should become more than friends yeah and they have congress in the woods surrounded so that's, okay that's my first question <laughs> let's, let's, put, let's put a pin in it there for a it's quite hard to explain well but yeah. so do they have Congress in the woods? Because it's important to me, <laughs> this answer to this question, because I've never seen the show. I've only heard um, it. So do oh, they, okay. Because Edgar certainly claims it for his own ends later to, yes. to, to provoke the finale. But do they actually do that? They certainly kiss and stuff. But do, do, do Yeah. They, you know? I think There's... maybe the more tame version, like it's quite, a lot of schools do it now, don't they? So maybe yeah. that's a that's a route out. Our, our production did well, Definitely. So in the, your yeah. production, yeah, we'll take yours as the did, did did they did they did they go? What is it? They did, yeah. They did. There's, there's, oh yeah, God. I have to say it was a full woodland orgy took place. <laughs> uh, we oh. kind of went for the late night, you know, had sure. a few yeah. drinks crowd in Edinburgh. Um, but I think as Holly says, there's probably tamer ways of doing it. I think <laughs> there's uh, people see a lot of different things in this show. You know, some people see it as you know uh, a. A, a story about racism or a sort of coming out story or all sorts of things. And I think the moment in the woods is when Edgar, Edgar learns uh, a nursery rhyme from Meredith early in the show about lots of different fun animals kind of loving each other and getting along. And she's kind of trying to convince him that he's this, he is, you know, uh, a, a nice person that people will indeed like him, even though he's different. And he, his kind of first experience of, of how to love and how to be compassionate is hearing this nursery rhyme about all these animals loving each other. So I think when he does stumble upon the god Pan in the woods and Pan encourages him to, you know, think about, uh, <laughs> about how he can kind of display that love, I think he takes it that step further. And it's... It's difficult to explain what happens because there is a very big twist in Bat Boy. Which, well, so this is the yeah. to to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, let's big, just call it a day. <laughs> well, it turns out, which is something that I I never expected this show to do, which is solve the mystery of where the Bat Boy came from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that do you, who wants to tell the the folks where who the Bat Boy really? Is? Oh God! Well, it's very tragic. It it's, is. It's very it is. tragic. It's like a Greek tragedy, essentially, yeah. Like, yeah. and Shakespearean as well. You know, most Shakespeare plays, it's the same kind of structure. Because the first half of this musical is kind of set in the town, and then the second half is set out in the woods, in the woods. where mm. right, all things are abandoned. Not to bring you know literary allusions into this, into this squalid tale, but right. you know there are lots of classical allusions in this play. I think, mm, sure, definitely. Yeah, but you got to tell the people who Edgar is. Oh it's well, nice. it turns out that we we in the last like fifteen minutes of the musical there's an extended flashback. So <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Uh, Doctor Parker was an, was a brilliant experimental, uh, which got like experimenting with phenomes and chemists. Uh, yeah, chemists. Chemist, chemist, yeah, That's it. And he go. was going out with uh, Meredith, who was very young and innocent, and <laughs> he spilled a vial over her of animal pheromones which caused him <laughs> sadly it's so awful he has this out of character complete animal reaction and um he rapes her and then on running away from the scene she's set upon by some bats who then 
rape her. So it, it's incredibly tragic. And basically, Edgar and Shelley are brother and sister. Yes. Same mother, <laughs> two different. Well, God knows how many fathers. But yes. And it, yes. And then that produced. So that is why, importantly, the thing that drives Shelley into Edgar's arms really is that Meredith, when Shelley says, I'm falling in love with Edgar, Mm. reacts in a way that she interprets as being no you really don't like him and what we take mm. that to mean too yeah. the, like you, you that she doesn't want them to he's be together disgust. yeah he's disgusting yeah. but what she actually says very importantly is it's disgusting and crucial distinction that it's yeah, because yeah. it's incestuous which is why whether or not they actually sleep together is important yeah <laughs> also for the implication for the future there was a thing of me that was like so it's then the show gonna like could end with Shelly being pregnant. Like yeah. that's how you could you could put that in the end of the show because obviously these bats are super fertile. So yeah, like, yeah. it could it this could be deepest line, regret. Um, yeah, the last line of the show, and I horribly regret this because I didn't. I think my young naive mind at the time didn't quite twig. But the last line of the show, and um, probably one of my favorite moments of the show, is the the, the show is kind of set in this. Uh, bookend kind of mm -hmm. um, style and that it opens with a song called um, Hold Me Back Boy and then it closes with the same song but a much more kind of tragic version where the character the, the, the cast kind of step out of their characters and explain the story at the start and then explain the kind of what we've learned at the end I guess yes. to the audience and the last line they sing is don't deny your beast inside which I think looking mm. back could be very literal in terms of mm -hmm. Shelley's situation and I kind yeah. of regret not having Shelley realize at that moment that she uh, is, is pregnant with Edgar's quarter bat child i guess yes. <laughs> i don't know how that works and not, i mean none of us on this call is a geneticist so no, I, yeah. so. <laughs> I always think that the amazing thing about bat boy is that it's a very silly ridiculous story when you try and explain it but the only way the show works is if you tell it as a deadly serious story Mm -hmm. in a very silly world if that makes sense Would so the, the world that they live in is extremely ridiculous but to these characters it's the most serious thing that's ever happened it kind of <laughs> felt to me re-listening to it and pro i mean this is of course because it's on the brain because of, of the podcast you guys did but like it seemed to me like a marriage between carrie and urine town mm. where there was this in the set like urine town has this extended high universe that you sort of have to buy into that it that mm. it functions in where it's it's not really the real world like it doesn't you know it, it, but it's a world we recognize you know but yeah. it feels yeah. more like, like a like a twilight zone episode than reality yeah. yeah carrie functions entirely in reality which is part of its problem and this show lives in between to me whereas like the audience that we're going to do direct address to the audience there's yeah. a lot of like direct commentary the the lyrics are heightened the assumptions are heightened the characters are more archetypes than people but it is absolutely the real world like we are functioning mm. in the real world there's just some yeah. sort of magic extra science science fiction thing happening but it is our world and it is a world that you because all the things they do are very normal. It's a small town, there's a veterinarian, there's a sheriff, he's up for election, there's a revival meeting. Like these are all very basic things. It's just, it's all dialed up to yeah. 11 so that when the veterinarian goes into the hospital room to kill the child, you're not like, oh God, where did that come from? You're like, oh wow, that's, that's, that's happening. 
Exactly. I forgot that bit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, there's, there's also a, someone burns down a slaughterhouse at one point. It's, it is, uh, yeah. yeah. And it is just that Intense. kind of extreme behavior that you could, it, it, it just, feel, you know, it's weird or it's funny or it's camp because it's it's in Bat Boy. But, like, that's a plot of a murder mystery. You know, like, yeah. the assumptions, the character, like, Dr. Parker makes some decisions that make him the villain of a different kind of story. He's still sort of the villain of this story as well, but for, mm. you know, it's a weird story. So it doesn't, the villain doesn't have the same yeah. stakes to it. Yeah. It true. feels kind of, I always think it feels related to, to shows like Little Shop of Horrors where, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like you say, it's in that world of its own, but it kind of, if I always think there's kind of like a, a rule with musicals. If you establish the rules in the first 10 or 15 minutes, you can kind of do what you want after that. If you tell the audience, you know, this is the crazy situation we're in. These are the rules. We're coming to tell you the story. Then you kind of, you know, if you've done that, yeah. you, the audience are kind of bought into it and they'll go along with it. And I think the, the amazing thing with Batboy is however crazy it gets, there are always people at the end who are crying because you're kind mm. of, you've bought into his story. You want him to, you know, you want the underdog to win and all of this crazy stuff is happening to him and to those people around him. But at the end of the day, you kind of, you're still on his side and you don't want him to die. Spoiler. So you're kind of- um, So many people die. I mean, yeah. in the Pretty last like dies. five minutes, it's everybody yeah. but Shelley, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute bloodbath. Yeah. Yeah. Again, the Greek tragedy, though. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the pile-up yeah. at the end. Sure. And Carrie. This is why we ended okay. up, you know, getting obsessed with Carrie. It's the same thing. Everyone's dead at the end. Yeah. So we'll, we'll drift into Carrie for a second. But where did, so where did, <laughs> that obsession started around the same time as this for the two of you? Or was that? Yeah. It was? Yeah. We had a lot of time in Edinburgh because our show was on late uh, at night. <laughs> and between us, we we spent so, a lot so of time. many one-person shows you can see. I oh, know. Yeah. Then, yeah. We just got into seeing the same drag queen do a Liza act, and we we went to see Sliza <laughs> oh, wow. Minnelli like most nights, and then oh, we. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, and between that i know yeah that sounds ready great. access. it was brilliant <laughs> yeah it's a i don't know if you've ever been to the edinburgh festival but it's it just takes over the city for like three and a half weeks every summer and if you're in a show you kind of get to know all the other people or well, not all the other but you, you get yeah. to know a load of other people in shows and you just see show upon show upon show upon show and it's yeah you just become these kind of tropes emerge and you become obsessed with weird things and you go a little bit mad yeah. and you're not eating properly and you're staying up all night and you <laughs> right. kind of, yeah, you just yeah. become obsessed with very strange things. And yeah. yeah, that's where, I think that's where Carrie came from somewhere in the deep, dark depths of the mania of boy combined <laughs> with not, not eating properly and drinking a lot of alcohol. So yeah. how was the show received in Edinburgh when you guys did it? Really, really well, well. Yeah. yeah it was it was surprising i think because i'm pretty sure we were the first group to do it after the west end mm, run mm-hmm. closed um and a lot of people had heard about it and but hadn't been able to see it because it had only been on in the west end for i think two and a half months or something yeah it was mm. a really short run but um we ended up being the best selling musical of the fringe that year which was oh, wow. kind of surprising because we weren't yeah. a professional show we, i mean we, we like to think we were professional oh, professionally behaved but you know we were a group of <laughs> we were a group of students um, yeah. in, in a fairly small venue but it it kind of sold out every night and it, it did yeah i think the i think it fitted with the, the kind of 
the aesthetic of the fringe really well, mm. didn't it? I think because yeah. it was low budget. We had no, we had very little money to do yeah. it. And we were in like a church hall somewhere. Yeah. Um, whereas I think the previous, the West End production had tried to kind of do this big overblown transfer in a huge barn of a theater. And all of the criticisms of that show had been leveled about it being about it losing its kind of intimacy and its its kind of sense of closeness that it had in the States. So I think stripping all of that away, I think people really kind of bought into it. And yeah. I think probably, you know, people had a few glasses of wine beforehand and that probably helped too. Yeah. <laughs> it became quite culty, didn't we? We had the same people coming back and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. We're on the Wikipedia, I noticed today. Oh, oh really? really? <laughs> yeah, our production is on is at the end of the Bat oh Boy Wikipedia. God. That's hilarious. <laughs> hey, I think go. we had quite a big cast too, and we we just mm. had this real present. I found this earlier, Holly. Remember these? Oh God! This, oh this my is God! not very good for audio, but I'm holding up this yellow T-shirt that we all wore. Look oh at gosh. look at that I branding. Tra- I was going to wear it, but I'm a bit. I'm 15 years older now. <laughs> Wow. There is some YouTube. There's <laughs> definitely some YouTube videos of you you do, giving interviews wearing that top. Um, we so this is present. what you're wearing around to promote the show? Is this the, yeah. That is a huge part of the festival is you have to yeah. basically yeah. busk for your... Yeah, yeah. we had like this army of yellow, of yellow polo shirts marauding around Edinburgh, handing out leaflets and stuff. And <laughs> you know, our, the guy who played Bat Boy was climbing in trees and, you know, oh scaring, know. scaring kids. And it was a great photo op. You know, we were, oh, wow. we were in all the papers and stuff. So something just worked about it at that time. And, yeah. you know, it just all seemed to come together and it was exhausting, but it was, it was great. It was well, brilliant. Yeah. How exhausting was it for you, Holly? Cause you're the one. Yeah. On yeah. I didn't do that. <laughs> I mean, oh God, what would I have been? 18? Yeah, no, I was 20, yeah, nearly graduated, 21 or 20-ish, um, and didn't quite, I mean, it's a really hard sing, Shelley, and it, yeah. vo- it goes all over the place, like, it's, it, you think it's a belt part, and then you get to the ballad, you're like, oh! <laughs> I will give you what you crave, let me prove I love you, let me become part of you. My ballad is different to the broad to the recording we're talking about today. I had I sang as long as you're mine, which is I would only me and no, that's I, wicked. No, not as long as you. What's it called? Um, <laughs> mine, or mine. <laughs> mine or mine. <laughs> Hold me and we'll be fine. Now you are mine. Now you are mine. Now you are mine. The only person to sing as long as you're mine. <laughs> In the middle of that voice. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Just two years before up. the show debuted on Broadway. She was out there. No, no one knew what she was doing, but they just let me do it. Oh, <laughs> she seemed to pride. 
but it's an amazing song and i don't know why it's not really um i, I don't th- i don't think yeah. the other productions do it anymore they go back to the original but in the same way as as, as the the song leaps about between belt and really quite operatic singing and by the end there was nothing there <laughs> i was oh, wow. just running on yeah. dust so it was like sort of a bit screechy towards the end but yeah <laughs> how many performances did you do God, we must have done about, yeah, something like that. And mm. it was late, late, late at night. Right. Which mm. Through help. the day, you kind of have to do, I mean, I say I, I didn't have to do it, but you guys had to kind of sing at promotional events and stuff through the day. Oh, and, that's true. Yeah, yeah. isn't it? I think like you can, you can understand why, you know, when you, when someone's doing a show on Broadway or the West End, you have to really pace yourself and you have to have mm-hmm. alternates and things like that for big roles because, yeah. yeah. I don't know how people would. I don't know how you did it, Holly, because it was it was a hell of a hell of a role. You were barely we weren't miked as well. Oh yeah, we didn't, we didn't have mics, ask. and the band band were really close. And we had a full like we had a three piece rock band, and, and I remember the drummer like really going for it. Yeah. Like right. you're amazing, mate. But right, could you <laughs> maybe with brushes? Like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you got to rap. Don't miss the rap. Yes. yes. We're gonna take you back. I'd buy the railroad track and, and leave your body for the dogs as a midnight snack. Your papa was a pig. Your mama was a snake. We're gonna snap you like a twig and dump you in the lake. We're gonna chain your arm to an atomic bomb and make you take your grandma to the senior prom. <laughs> what? Dude, you are so hot. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is, and that's the that's the Lawrence O'Keefe of it of it all. Yeah, yeah. is that's yeah. the like the because Heather's is absolutely one of my favorite musicals. Brilliant, full stop. Yeah. Um, and I love his take on the sort of middle class American teenager mm. and the middle class white American teenager specifically yeah. who just has no self awareness. <laughs> whatsoever which yeah. sometimes is incredibly charming and sometimes is incredibly sweet and sometimes is just the most hilarious <laughs> dumbest thing without trying to be because it's not only i love that it's not only what the, like when shelly raps which is great because it comes out of nowhere yeah. but that she then but that then rick's response is you're so hot dude or whatever he says it's, like, oh, it's I know. just so, so perfect grim. that he loves it <laughs> Yeah, absolutely yeah. love how idiotic she looks. But getting what I was saying uh, uh, earlier about tone and stuff, though, one of the things that's again because obviously listening to your your podcast, we talk about this a lot. But the this show knows exactly what it is. It's sort of its greatest strength that it knows exactly the and uh, the tone is trying to strike. And and Chris, like you said, it sets you up very very clearly at the beginning and then pays it off at the end because when we say the characters learn they state what they've learned they really mean that kind of in the into the woods literally like every character comes out and says a piece of information (laughs) they have gleaned in the last two hours including my all-time favorite don't raise cattle on a mountain yeah like it is just it goes from the ranging like you know we should all love each other and be brothers (laughs) to like the very practical listen with a lot of deciduous trees around, we're not really going to get the kind of wood yeah. production we wanted. Out of, you know, it's, it's all that. Just <laughs> like life hacks. Just, just yeah. some tips at the end. 
tips for life. Things you don't want to do. Like good things yeah. and bad things, but like basically yeah. don't raise cattle on a mountain. <laughs> it's so funny. It's very funny because that's what I mean. Even in the most tragic moment of the show, when they're telling you this, this deep moral kind of conclusion, someone says, oh yeah, don't kill the kids either. You know, yeah. like, like, don't kill, you know, don't kill the kids. It's advice. don't kill... Who is Mrs. Taylor's kid? Yeah, specific. <laughs> Just listen. Don't kill Mrs. Taylor's kid. Yeah. Who are all dead, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not exactly really, advice yeah. you can take yeah. home. Exactly. <laughs> There's nothing to do with it. All killed by God. So yeah, that's that's actually I think we've referenced it a few times. We should let the audience know that Dr. Parker goes on a, a minor killing spree to blame deaths on Edgar. So the yeah. town will turn against him right as they're starting to turn in his favor because his wife is showing a pr- preference for Edgar over him yeah. in, in all kinds of ways. And we then, of course, find out it all makes sense that he she's his son and he is not Edgar's father. So it all becomes, yeah. but he's directly bit. responsible <laughs> exactly. for, for all of it. Yeah, how many how so, many actors did you use? Because there is a lot of doubling you can do in this show too. How many, yeah. how many cast did you have? I think we had about ten. We, yeah, yes, oh, which okay. is quite a lot for for Edinburgh. Um, yeah. and we pretty much all lived in the same room <laughs> for a oh, month. Gosh, really? And um, yeah, and we had a very small band, as Holly said. I think the I think the score was written for five. Mm-hmm. It's quite small, and we had even fewer than that. I think we had yeah. three most of the time. Um, and had to kind of make do with that because again we were in this tiny little venue but um but i think it's expandable i think on the album there are more instruments and i think different productions have done it in different ways but yeah the cast the cast doubles and part of the kind of um the the kind of joy of the show and it's sort of low budget vibe is that the cast make very little effort to disguise themselves so there's a lot of kind of getting changed on stage into different Mm -hmm. characters and just flinging on a quick wig to become someone else and yeah. I think that's kind of part of it. it's it's almost this slightly uh Brecht can I say Brechtian is that just it really, is Brechtian that, it is because yeah. you used it correctly so I will allow it on Good, <laughs> thank you my my school my remember my school field studies are coming back <laughs> but, um <laughs> and it was in one it was that kind of wave like you say it was that wave of like you're in town and mm. Avenue Q and mm. uh, all those kind of shows that came out around that time that kind of you know, threw all the rule books out of the window and 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 did that whole kind of addressing the audience and uh, looking quite scrappy and, and fringy. And, you know, you can never, re- I never think you can do realism properly in musical theatre anyway. It's always a bit ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So this show and others like it just say right from the beginning, you know, we're going to tell you this story. We're going to parody other styles of musical theatre. We're going to do these kind of pastiches. And just, you know, come along for the ride and don't take it too seriously. And I think that's why it works because it, you know, and I think probably that's why it didn't work so well in the West End is because they tried to throw money at it and they tried Mm. to kind of make it this big budget thing. Put pyro in it and stuff. Yeah, and like people coming down from the ceiling and stuff. And yeah. Like Cirque du Soleil. Exactly. (laughs) I think, I didn't, again, I didn't see it, but I think Bat Boy flew up into the ceiling in the West End production at the end. He shouldn't do that. That's a terrible idea. (laughs) What he should do is have two big sticks and, and black plastic wings and he opens them out at the end which I think was an effect we cut very early in rehearsals oh, it looked, even that looked too cheap for us <laughs> thin line of wings oh thin there is a wings. line I mean that's important because there is a line there's a moment where it's like 
if you you are kind of walking a razor's edge with material like this and if you go you have a lot of latitude but if you go too far it quickly it all the whole thing just disintegrates did you ever find holly that the audiences were sort of flagging at any point or were they just there for the he's your brother right <laughs> oh oh sorry like flagging is an energy wise yeah um... yeah yeah. Not like <laughs> right attention wise. yeah but I also like waving flags like, stop yeah. stop her out loud. whatever you do right. um, yeah they um... sleep with the bat <laughs> whatever you do um... so badly for you in a minute <laughs> it was all we all did we did it in an hour so i think they didn't oh, have wow. time i think we just kind of like we just threw this material maybe we did it an hour 10 i feel like an hour 10 wow. we in my brain the, i think it was like i think you're remembering it as going quicker than it was <laughs> it oh was really like, i think it was like 90 minutes because we chopped out the oh, interval because we didn't have time for it <laughs> and um i think it got to about 90 90 minutes on, okay. on a good night. That makes more yeah. sense. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing wicked, so you know. Right. Yeah, who knows where you were? Doesn't know what you was doing. Yeah. So what, why did great. you come down and audition for this, Holly? What was it about the show that attracted you in the first place? Aside from a desire to be the lead, obviously. She wanted to be the lead. Uh, <laughs> she I thought, thought it was wicked. Yeah. I thought it was wicked. Uh, I thought I, was, I can I make my misled. mark. Right. <laughs> I'm absolutely, I've been furious for right. years. still mad about it. That's why we brought you here today, Chris, to confront you. Counseling. Yeah. <laughs> this is really an intervention. <laughs> exactly. I think I, just, I, I did a lot of musicals at, at university and they were sort of like, sort of become my sort of niche where I sort of like, mm. I'd done, uh, I'd done um, hair and Jesus Christ Superstar and I'd done Mrs. Love It and stuff and I was like I want to do a fringe it was my last it would have been my last fringe before graduating and it it just seemed like a bit of a laugh I was like this this I think the kind of the pre-publicity was saying it's a bit like Rocky Horror and I was like oh I love Rocky Horror yeah great Mm. I'll I'll, I'll come along and audition for that and uh, yeah absolutely fell in love with it and can't understand why it's not better known really because I just think it's great (laughs) yeah it's very rarely done here. I think. I think it's done. It's very in the rarely done here. Really? Right. Okay. Yeah, it's done. It's certainly done. Like it's a show that pops up. But I mean, it it yeah. was it it was professionally anyway. It was down here shortly after it was in New York, and then it was in DC where I am, and then it mm-hmm. was it, it hasn't been back as far as I know, in a professional yeah. context. Like it may have come like like you say, high schools or community theaters or colleges yeah, yeah. even might do it. Um, but it is very very odd i mean i don't want to say odd it's not the right word but it is such a like like you say it's a show about what like what is happening in this show you know because it doesn't even more so than some of the the other odd musicals we've mentioned it it has a very like it it sounds like a harder sell than it is it's the thing of like if you get into the room you're gonna love it Yeah. yeah exactly but we've got to get you in the room and so like if this sort of American tabloid cover story nature of it, which was a huge part of the advertising over here. It's actually how I remember it is seeing the CD with the big sort of tabloid picture on the cover. Mm. Um, And in that sense, it felt to me, I remember at the time a lot more like um, 
I don't know if I'm mixing up my years here, but something like Jerry Springer, the musical, where mm. it was really trying to, because the Bat Boy story was something that was on the front page of, I don't know if it was the Globe over here, whatever tabloid for a long time. It was a big yeah. popular thing for them. And then it was a musical and it felt more like, oh, this is just sort of a fad grabbing whatever's on right now. And they've made a musical about it and they put it off Broadway. But it's so much more than that. It's so much better than, than that, frankly. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, I still think it gets niched into that. But it also, mm. Holly, like you said, it requires certain talents to put mm. it on. Yeah. And, you, you know, your ensemble's got a great, you can kind of mix and match as you go. But like Batboy and, and Shelly have mm. work to do in this oh, show. Oh, yeah. And Batboy has tremendous physical things he has to do in the yeah. show and sing at the same time. It's like Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime that way. <laughs> yeah, like The character exactly. has to crawl everywhere over the stage and be mm-hmm. comfortable with that, you know, sort of physicality. So it's not Definitely. an easy sell. Yeah. yeah, and Meredith is a really tragic part. She's got to carry that that mm-hmm. whole. If you don't buy her reveal, then it's all going to fl- fall flat. And and vocally again, hers is really like by the end, like she's got some sort of semi operatic bits in that. Thomas, I forgive you. Stuff mm-hmm. is really like in a different place vocally. So you, again, you just you just need some really great comic actors who can sing it and mm-hmm. and move it as well like not saying yeah. that we were uh, but like maybe that's why it's not revived that often i don't because well, it's yeah you know you find a marquee name that can do all of that i don't know like well you either mm. need to be able to do it or you need to be young enough that you don't know you can't is the sort of yeah. like yeah yeah that's the, what we were <laughs> and then the, the confidence will just carry you through the run and you'll fall apart when the run's over but like the confidence yeah. carries you through it but yeah. yeah for a show for one of the the houses down here to do it, it would have to be they'd need name people in it. And yeah. like you say, there's so many shows people can do. They'd rather do something. <laughs> they yeah. just rather not would be. Yeah. yeah. Which is a shame because it's really, really good. So yeah. yeah. I think it's one of those shows that also closed in the wake of 9-11. I think it, mm-hmm. it, it just didn't kind of get the life it deserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I wonder if that's partly why it's just not as well known as it maybe should be because I think it's it's quite rare and it's one of these shows that only lasted a few months I think but actually was critically amazingly well received in New York and you know all the reviews are just glowing and people were going back to see it over and over again and it's kind of it's kind of sad in a way that it's one it might have been a casualty of that that strange time and had it lasted a few more years it could have become something much bigger and, and much more well known that you know maybe would have been done a lot more often yeah i feel like it also had a resonance in terms of trump's america as well because it's, yeah. it's, it's a huge plot about people being lied to and uh, yeah. and and the rural community kind of scapegoating other people and stuff like i think when we, we saw the southern playhouse production i have a feeling they were wearing maga hats in that yeah they were mm. yeah, yeah it was just at the beginning of all of that and oh dear yeah yeah like you say <laughs> like it's on the surface at least it's this it's the story of american small town prejudice and this mm. outsider who comes in and the way they treat him just because he looks and behaves differently and you know that if that's not a story of Trump's America, then what is? And I guess, you know, also that was what was going on after 9-11 in a way, mm-hmm. you know, people who looked differently and came from different places or had different appearances or talked different languages were being 
horribly abused in the mm. in the months after that happened and you know that's probably a metaphor that the the writers never imagined was coming you know when they when they put sure. the show on so yeah i think it's you know it's it's a really it has these amazing parts to it it has these incredible kind of messages even though it is in this crazy universe it, it has these lovely kind of uh, I don't want to say morals to it but it kind of has these you know these really interesting themes of mm. of hypo- hypocrisy and acceptance and forgiveness and revenge and all of these yeah. kind of things that you know make the story uh, well, recognizable well and like you say it, it, there's there's a real stark contrast in it between animals and people and I think that it's something that Meredith says late in the show to Batboy of saying like well you know you you have a soul you're a person does a beast Mm. have a soul and it's a really good question you know what I mean like it's a really good interesting question because obviously he came into existence because people were messing around with beast things and they became animalistic and it became like in this heightened mm. sci-fi way. What was the response to it in, in the West End? Cause it was very positive here. What was the response to Bat Boy in the, really from the audience? Really um, I think it was very mixed and the audiences just became extremely small towards the end from yeah. by all accounts. I think it was in the Shaftesbury theater, which is one of the kind of big barn theaters in the West End for some mm. reason. And I think they did. They did an out-of-town tryout in the UK at a much smaller theatre in Leeds. Um, of I, because they changed the show a little bit. They they'd taken out a lot of American references because we don't understand that kind of thing here. And they'd <laughs> we didn't have the Google. <laughs> we didn't have Google. And then they changed a couple of songs, as Holly mentioned. Um, I think it's one of those shows that that took a long time to get to where it was. And and then by the time it got to London. I think people just didn't quite understand what it was because it had mm. it had lost this sense of that sense of it not taking itself seriously and it lost a bit of the the kind of scrappy quality it had had in its previous incarnations and so it was kind of pretending to be this big blockbuster musical and people just didn't get it and I think there was no like you say people in the states from what I understand know who Batboy is from all of those kind of fun tabloid stories and we don't have that here we nobody knew who he was mm-hmm. and one of the things we had a lot in Edinburgh people would come up to us and say oh is it about is it like a Batman prequel kind of story um be like, no. you're like no it's no no don't bring your kids <laughs> right um so i think there was just that lack of kind of cultural awareness of it and that, similar to carrie in a way you know it mm. just a lot a lot of the elements of it were very american and just didn't land and it just ended up with like two and three star reviews and just didn't catch on from from my understanding and yeah, yeah, but so, we were there ready to grab the right. Sure, to do it no, absolutely. it's a perfect show for a fringe. I mean, it's yeah. a perfect yeah. fringe show in that sense. Yeah. That it, it can give the audience everything they they want, whether they want it or not. Yes. But the which is what a good fringe show does to me. Yeah. Do you guys? So here's a question. I actually, I think I've never. I've had a few few people from the UK on the show, but I've never asked this question, which is, we have obviously our theater hub is New York. And in New York, there are a lot of different levels of theater, but we have the two big ones being Broadway and Off-Broadway, which provide ostensibly very different sorts of things, though reality-wise, it, it, it's a little murkier. But do you have anything, because it's just the West End in London, right, is your sort of Broadway with the Olivier Awards and all that. Do you have an Off-Broadway yeah. sort of equivalent in London? 
or is it mostly in the in the sort of out in the in the towns and other counties yeah we do i don't think maybe to the extent of off broadway but there is a kind of off west end kind of um mm. scene i think so there are places that holly mentioned the southwark playhouse which is really famous for doing uh musical revivals especially kind of um musicals like this you know they did the mm. first production the first professional revival of Bat Boy and the first professional revival of Carrie and uh, Xanadu and all those kind of slightly yeah. offbeat the musicals. Rink and the stuff. Rink. Yeah, oh, all that kind rink. of stuff. Oh, yeah. And then places like, you know, um, the Old Vic and the Young Vic and the mm -hmm. Almeida do, are, are famous for doing plays out of the West End. And a lot of their stuff transfers into the West End. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's quite the same kind of sort of linear sort of journey that often off-Broadway shows have to Broadway, but um, there is a kind of very thriving regionals, although who knows what will happen when we yeah. get out of this well, sure, uh, pandemic right. mess, but there, there was a very thriving regional theatre scene here. Mm. Um, not so much the same kind of out-of-town system that I think happens for Broadway shows, because yeah. the UK is obviously much smaller. A lot of people from around the country just travel into London to, to see shows when they can but stuff does get tested occasionally outside of the capital and and that's what happened to Bat Boy as well I think mm -hmm. so yeah similar similar but smaller I, I would say yeah we have the festival culture I think as well as so we have yeah. mm. Edinburgh um which has increasingly become more about comedy really than theatre mm. um and we have Vault Festival here in, in London, which is a, a sort of a miniature version of Edinburgh these days. But we don't. Yeah, it's not quite. It's not the linear. That's exactly right, Chris. It's not as linear as Broadway to off, off Broadway to Broadway. Mm -hmm. Which is basically smaller theatres here because you guys came yeah. in to see Carrie, right? Like, we sure theater, did. Like, yeah. Directed it. Yeah. 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 Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Stuff. Yes, it was really, really good. Um, Though no, I was disappointed in the lack of blood. I'll be entirely honest. Uh, uh, well, the dumping. Of course, she had the blood when she came back on. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I saw it in previews too, so I'm never quite sure oh, wow. what, what I saw like was actually what ended up on, on in the production. Yeah, uh, I wanted. So Holly, you also do a lot of writing and mm. performing. In, uh, yeah, and how does something like Bat Boy and Carrie? I mean, you can include all these, but sort of offbeat musicals is that something you find following you in your own writing and performing oh yeah absolutely so I mean my I did three shows I, I I'm in a sort of double act with my husband um and we took the long-suffering Tom right? the long-suffering Tom <laughs> yeah. bless his heart <laughs> and uh yeah we we took these we developed these hours mostly about um women in they're basically musical comedies about misogyny so oh, there you go. Uh, yeah <laughs> so the last it's one we did was vein. about i know right and we do i do a lot of impressions and i do a lot of i do impressions of people from musical theater so i'll do like you know liza or a bit of like patty lapone or someone but other kind of um very the divas basically so sure. women who sing in vocal extremes and and kind of mining that for comedy but also relating that to kind of political comedy and the one so the last one we did was about witches the one before that was about freud's madonna whore complex with the songs of madonna um so right. like we and they don't yeah i haven't really done we don't have music like musical theater songs in the shows but they're kind of done with a similar 
campy sensibility to a kind of a, a fringy production, I guess, of it all. Very much the aesthetic that Chris introduced me to, uh, which is <laughs> have a bag of wigs and see what happens. <laughs> hope for the best. That's not a bad name for a cabaret. <laughs> yeah, a bag exactly. of wigs and hope for the best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we had a fictional production company for a while called Polishing the Turd Productions, didn't we, Chris? <laughs> very <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Couldn't put it on a marquee, but it's pretty, yeah. nice. pretty good. <laughs> I like that. That's the job. Yeah. That is, but that's it. Well, and Chris, you're in marketing, right? So you know all yeah. about that sort of. Uh... That's right. Yeah. I w- yeah, I definitely wouldn't be able to put it on the, the marketing that I work on. on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But um, no, it's my, it's my favorite kind of theater, you know, it's just, um, it, it's just kind of jumping into, as you say, jumping into a box of props and seeing seeing what you can make. Um, and that, yeah, that's the kind of show that I, I really love seeing. And Holly's shows are always really fun for that because you never quite knew what was going to happen next. But, um, uh, yeah. So if anyone has any ideas for Holly's next Edinburgh yeah, show, please get in touch. We'll put a link in the, in the, in the yeah, show. Yeah, absolutely. Submit, submit ideas too. Very welcome to submissions. <laughs> there you go. Well, it's, 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 it seems to, now this is might just be me idealizing the, you know, the, 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 the city I don't work in, but it seems to me there's a lot of, a lot more opportunity for that kind of thing in England than there is in the United States. And I don't know if that is, I mean, there's certain things that people may not know. I, like, I know, I, I think I'm aware of the fact that, um, like, people get paid for stand-up gigs, and things, you know, open uh, in the UK much earlier than they do here. There's a lot more of just, like, you do it for free for a very long time yeah, until somebody yeah. starts paying you. So there's that aspect of it, like, that the people get paid for their work. But there's also just sort of, almost ironically, a, a, a less self-conscious approach to comedy i think mm. and a less of a less of a building your mo- mystique sort of act. like people are in, in in america to me are always much more concerned about for one of a better term their brand and that has become more in the last you know decade and a half with with the rise of social media but it is sort of there, there's much more like I'm doing the thing that I'm doing and it has to be part of something larger. It all has to be part of something bigger, which is the antithesis kind of of the, of the like you say, a bag of wigs, wigs and hope for the best sort of <laughs> mentality because it's sort of like, this is going to be what it's going to be. And we're going to do it for an hour and maybe we'll do it again. Or maybe we won't, like we'll do something else, which has always been much more attractive to me. It's like, well, we do it. And then if it works great and if it doesn't, okay, well, what did we learn from it? Yeah. Something else over here. And that attitude certainly exists over here, but it seems to me it's much more prevalent over there. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think we have, um, we have, maybe the stakes are lower. Maybe it's easier to put on something financially. If you do it above a pub, we have like Mm. the pub theater scene is quite big here. And I mean, again, common denominator with most people will be, under the influence as well so like they won't remember (laughs) yeah I think I think it is easier to just I'm doing a show this week are you coming great (laughs) see Mm -hmm. you there and and I think you know if if you've got a couple of hundred quid you can make that kind of happen as opposed to having to you know fund something much more established and much more high stakes I would say 
but I think there is beginning to be a little bit more like there's the kind of mythos that's growing up around um, Fleabag as like, oh, well, you'll take your show to Edinburgh and it will become yeah. you'll become a multimillionaire um, right. <laughs> for the first time you do it. Right. And and there is a kind of I think it'll be so interesting to see what happens when theatre recovers, because I think it will. But I think, unfortunately, it hasn't been a meritocracy for a while. And I don't think it will be by the time it comes back. So I think increasingly people are expected to go with a bit more of a plan and be like so how is this marketable what's the next life for this like Mm -hmm. who do you know that you can kind of who can facilitate your next steps um and there's a kind of desperation and, and urgency to that the money for edinburgh is becoming more and more like really you need six grand to kind of to even and then you need to pay really need to pay someone for PR so that's Mm -hmm. getting more like 10 grand and it and then suddenly you're going oh this isn't this not everyone could do this at all right so yeah I think definitely historically I'd say that that has been the situation but it might be changing a bit I think it it, yeah it's it's such a weird because we definitely have that as well i mean we have mm. you, like you say it's not a meritocracy and hasn't been for a while there's definitely a lot more conversations right now especially with the fact that so many theater people got lost their jobs in the last yeah. year and then are having to reapply for those jobs in the united states which is being met with what i would call the appropriate amount of incredulousness <laughs> um, and also the fact that like i mean the you know it's a conversation that we're having all over western culture about wage gap and about how much is you know like why are you paying you're not paying your interns and you're paying your staff you know less than a living wage while you make mm-hmm. x number of dollars so obviously mm-hmm. that's that's indic that's everywhere you know that's the arts at least in the united states i think it's also the problem that the the margin the the chance for failure in terms of like to- the, americans are always like one bad decision away from total financial ruin it seems to me i don't care how wealthy you are it seems to me that like one not even a bad decision like one epic piece of bad luck and you could be ruined for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. uh and so that creates a more of a fearful sort of of mindset with a lot of people um but we definitely have that that look what you just said about fleabag reminded me of what was going on with sort of improv comedy about 10 plus years ago where it was like all you have to do is go to upright citizens brigade and you'll get cast (laughs) in a show and then you'll they'll offer you a network show and then you'll be set forever yeah and the only people who ever made it in that was actually upright citizens brigade who then started charging (laughs) phenomenal amounts of money for you to take their classes like that's who ended up winning in that deal yeah Uh, yeah and you know it's like stand-up was maybe i guess in the 90s where it's like you just need to be a stand-up and then you get a sitcom and then you're fine you know that's the (laughs) sort of that's the thing people are always looking for those easy solutions but the pieces of art that seem to glom on to to people and uh are shows like Bat Boy and Carrie that have no are not those sort of easy sell shows. They have yeah. some kind of Carrie for probably different reasons, but Bat, <laughs> Bat Boy is it, it, you know has has a real heart to it and is a real personal expression. And I think people, you know, will stick with you forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely, it's true. And I think it was for for Larry for Lawrence O'Keefe especially. Mm. You know, you can see the early feeling of his later work in Bat Boy and I think mm-hmm. you know that shows 
his journey from doing relatively obscure kind of fringy musicals to mega musicals like Legally Blonde later. Um, you see those kind of early hints to it in Bat Boy, I think, which is really interesting. Which I think, am I right that Legally Blonde was a bigger hit in the UK than it was in the United States? Yeah. I think it was, yeah. I think it lasted a, really long a lot run. longer. Yeah. yeah. It became quite a long runner. Yeah, and it, it which is, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have opinions on Legally Blonde or not. I've made mine clear in earlier episodes, so I'll just, I'll just, there's a whole episode about Legally Blonde, I think, in, in the feed. Um, but it, yeah, that's such an interesting thing to me, because it's, it, right before you got on the hall, call, Holly, Chris and I were talking about a, a British people doing American accents in musicals specifically. Oh, and yeah. that is, these are all, all of his shows um all the o'keefe shows have in common to me is one of the things they have in common is that they are all very american like, like mm. you say like this set in very american places with american themes about american yeah. people and but you know the, especially legally blonde which might be the most american of, of the of the three big ones being bat boy heathers and legally blonde and that just seems to have rocked like here it was presented with its you know it's the the theater audience turned its nose up at it right. and whereas what we would view as the traditionally snoot snooty uh london audiences <laughs> seem to gobble it up <laughs> very quickly yeah and it was you know stunt casting for for i mean peter yeah. davison was in it in the west end at some point like it's yes. a huge it was yeah. a huge thing yeah. yeah i think there's been a real wave of musicals here which have appealed to to young people they've mm -hmm. really kind of the the casting the sound of the shows things like well, Heathers did the same, you know, a mm. few years later. Heathers was huge here. And, you know, I, that, again, transferred from kind of off West End to West End and and I think did a UK tour mm -hmm. um, and just became this thing. And, you know, I think it's in the... The first time I remember it really happening here was with Wicked. You kind of had that, that kind of fandom that developed and people would go and see the show over and over again to see, you know, different cast members in it. And, and that kind of followed through to shows like Legally Blonde and Heathers and now Six has it, yeah. um, mm. where you just get these huge gangs of, of, of teenagers and young adults going to see shows, which I think is a real kind of quite a new phenomenon. And I think, um, I, I, I think part of that is maybe ticket prices are very different here. You can see a well, show sure. in the West End for, you know, 20 pounds quite easily. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I think you'd be really lucky to find something on Broadway for less than what? A hundred dollars. I mean, a hundred yeah. would be the, the minimum yeah. I would expect so, to spend. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you can attract that different audience straight away. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's well, interesting. there's also yeah. a, a sort of, I had um, Morgan Smith on the podcast a, a couple months ago, who is the creator of Averno. I don't know if you guys are aware of Averno, but it's this mm. huge online community of teens and tweens uh, that is like this most massive thing you've never heard of if you're over 30 basically right, right. Okay. and it's like <laughs> yeah exactly right and but she she they've created some it's a it's a multimedia thing they have books and comics and musicals and plays and movies like all that take place in this world and they got a deal with um mutual mutual acquaintance Robbie Rizal's uh, label Broadway Records to release a couple of their shows on Broadway Records during the pandemic and they're selling like crazy I mean it's absolutely blowing up uh, wow. fast selling titles and I when I had her on the show though what she talked about was that she feels that 
this at, at the tender age of 21, I think, or however old she is, <laughs> that this very astute observation she made, which is that all the producers say, like all I hear them say is like, we want young people, we want young people, we want young people. And then Be More Chill comes along and they trash it. Lightning Thief comes along right. and they trash it. Like they want, they, they, they want to bring in the young audiences, but they sort of don't want to do the things you yeah. need to do here to bring in young audiences yeah. which is support the shows that are right focused on those people yeah and pay attention when young people say things like maybe that show is a show <laughs> we're like you know we're all enjoying uh yeah. and it's a really like the broadway ticket model is still really based on you know old people from new jersey on a bus yeah. like that's really where the revenue stream comes from. yeah <laughs> and that is not how you foster creativity <laughs> like, no. that's why that's how you end up with and i'm gonna see it but i'll try but I, that's why i keep trash like but that's why you end up with hugh jackman and the music man like that's right. who the yeah. old people want to see and yeah. i want to see that too but i also kind of want to see the last <laughs> like, yeah. yeah i mean this is a thing that happens here too you know you mm. you're always going to get those shows that have the, the big names to get the coach trips in from mm. <laughs> from around the country but I, and, and you know this is some this is maybe a tale as old as time in that it was leveled at, at Carrie too you know mm. a lot of the arguments around Carrie was that it was too ahead of its time because it was trying to appeal to a younger audience at a time when you had all these very expensive mega musicals popping up on Broadway for as you say for rich out of town people and Carrie suddenly turns up with this cast of young people with people from fame in it with the writers from fame uh doing a very non-classical non-traditional piece uh in the middle of broadway at a time when broadway was you know was it having a bad time itself and again it was trashed and and people were making the same argument that you were you know why are you not supporting this theater that is attracting younger people and is more accessible but there are other factors at play too. Well, so. yeah. <laughs> and if you're interested uh, in them, please listen yes. to Up for Blood on the yes, Broadway podcast now. <laughs> How did that come about? How did it come about that you guys ended up doing a podcast about this thing <laughs> that you loved so much? Yeah. How did we? Mm. Well... It all began, I guess, back back in Edinburgh. I, I suppose you know we were we, we've just talked about this show for 15 or so years, and yeah. uh, last year. Um, we both, we both found that we both work in the industry. We both found ourselves with not much to do. So we kind of, um, we just decided to, now was the time to dig into this, this crazy story. And, you know, we, back in the day, we watched Carrie on a, on a dusty VHS tape. Mm -hmm. And uh, like many people, we kind of thought we were these pioneers and we discovered this relic from from out of time and it turns out that was not the case lots of people <laughs> discovered that same video but um we kind of set about uh trying to track people down who had been involved in the show and to ask them the questions that we had all those years about you know how did this happen how did this crazy show ever get off the ground uh all of these kind of urban myths and legends and yeah people were gen so generous with their time and uh spoke to us and told us all about it basically and what started out as we thought maybe three or four parts turned into this epic oh yeah no it's much more than that <laughs> no it's, yeah sorry um yeah we just got really lucky with timing didn't we because yeah, it's definitely. like 
we it wouldn't have you know put the podcast revolution is such that you know we wouldn't have we wouldn't have had this medium to tell the story sure um yeah and and chris you know you'd been thinking about it and studying it you know carry for years but just the idea it's like and i i was tom and i have a podcast called big diva energy um and we were doing a podcast i think chris you were like oh they've got the stuff to do a podcast yeah. we, we can <laughs> make a podcast let's do that it's not that hard it turns out <laughs> yeah it's, it's fine and then obviously tell we had a... people that, that know, oh, it's, it's very hard it's very hard so very difficult hard. yeah very difficult don't try and do one about carry <laughs> the make a podcast no yeah, especially not about theater for crying out loud <laughs> mm. <laughs> and yeah and everyone was in their houses so we could get access to, yeah. the, to these people who were like yeah sure i'll give you half an hour it was great thank you guys so much for for talking to me this is so yeah it's been a delight lovely conversation so where can people find you guys um i'll think i'll start with chris because i think his answer is shorter where where can people find (laughs) you online um you can find me personally on twitter at chris a um but you can find out for blood on twitter at out for blood pod and we're also on instagram at out for blood podcast because we like to keep them a bit keep it shaky yeah i got you (laughs) yeah keep them guessing uh yeah and you can find me i'm at morgues to you on twitter uh obviously i'm out for blood as well and uh at diva energy for the other podcast you find big diva energy wherever you get your pods uh yeah yeah look us up (laughs) so i ask this i haven't done this with two guests before i usually ask (laughs) what is your favorite song let's see if we can get an answer to that can we get you can give me separate answers but let me be interested to see if you have a have an agreed upon favorite song just from, from bad boy, boy right yeah, yeah just not generally not in general in yeah just uh, as long as you're mine <laughs> <laughs> that classic oh, i think hold me bad boy Hold you, bad boy. Hold yeah. me, bad boy. Yeah, I, think I so. would say comfort and joy. I love. Comfort I love and joy. comfort and joy. Oh, it's the oh, song that ends joy. the first act, and it's just intense. It's this kind of Doctor Parker snaps into kind of evil villain mode, and it's it's brilliant. It's this kind of patter song, and these spooky voices come out of his conscience, and it's it's kind of bat boy encapsulated. I love it. It is brilliant, actually. Yeah, you gonna go with silly. that, Holly, or do you want to stay on stand on your own? I'm surprised uh, you didn't go with mine or mine. That's your big, your big I number. No, I do love mine or mine. Um, even though I couldn't remember the name of it earlier. Uh, <laughs> you no, I'll, I'll remember the words. You didn't have to remember the title. Exactly. I <laughs> no. need the general thrust. And now this there. song is called. What is it called? All right. Three bedroom house. What about three bedroom house? That's oh, a brilliant song. Yeah. So good. This she show does a me. thing that I love. It's one of my favorite musical things, which is it has lots of reprises, and the yeah. and they all change the meaning of the original song. They yeah. all twist. Yeah the song we heard before into something else because that's a Mm. a reprise to me is at its best when it it turns the original song on its head and and makes you go oh god like this what is you know or even oh that's sweet like there's a lot of different ways you can do it and this show does it over and over and over again comfort and joy or or three bedroom house christian charity joyful noise they all kind of come back and make yeah. you go, ooh, like, ooh, I'm not quite sure yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's it's very, very clever. 
it is really really clever. Yeah. It's almost like they know what they're doing. These guys. Yeah. They should good. do this as a job. They you? should. Right? Somebody should call that Larry. What's his name? Larry. Call call Larry. <laughs> tell, him, tell him to look into it, and it could probably work pretty well. Thank yeah. you guys so much. This was such a wonderful oh, this conversation. This is so great. So Had great. such Thank a lovely you. time. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having us. You little creep, you're gonna pay. I will be shoved out of the way. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. And I could make a solid case for smashing in your filthy face. Kill him. Shut up. Kill him. Shut up. I got a spade and a burlap sack. And there's a hole in the yard out back But if I feel it, she'll ask me why So I've got one thing to do before you die Wait, she will see what you are I will win back my bride She herself will decide to get rid of the boy She'll admit she was wrong She'll return before long She'll be singing a song full of comfort and joy is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Original Cast Pod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at Unknown Penguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Chris Adams and Holly Morgan for coming to talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Or if you just don't give a damn, you could at least...